Hello and welcome to Failsafe Fitness Podcast, episode number 13. This is it, this is the end of season one. My name is Michael Joshua, I am the owner and CEO of Failsafe Fitness Limited. I offer a range of personal training, strength and conditioning, golf performance coaching, nutrition and weight management advice, as well as uh, massage and kinesiology. It's been an exciting year, 2023 so far, it's been up and down, and this podcast was uh, the start of it. Joining Himley Hall Golf Club a few years ago as a member, and then working as a greenkeeper, and now I am going to be their performance coach, it's going to be very good. So yeah, it's been an interesting journey so far in 2023 up and down it's been a rough sort of four weeks or so i mean went on holiday at the start of february wife's got a knee injury needs surgery we still managed to get some golf in it was okay weather has delayed the opening of of the golf course so which has delayed my adventure into golf performance I broke my three wood in a practice session coming through the door, the back back door of the kitchen. I uh, went bent down to pick something up. It's dropped out the bag. I've t- stood up, turned to go through the door and snapped the head off. But I've replaced it with a little rocket ship from Tour Edge, which I spoke about a couple of weeks ago. I said my personal fitness is not so good. Um, uh, obviously with the ups and downs of my dad being in hospital working to try and get the course done trying to get different things done time management hasn't been my greatest strength over the years for me personally and the last couple of years through COVID I've put 15 18 kilo back on from what I lost when I got married in 2017 so that's on me that's you know I can't blame anyone it's, it's my fault I'm trying to get better, trying to give myself a little bit more time, but with the season coming up, hopefully I'll be able to play some more golf, get out there and and burn some, some fat and, and calories, etc. And of course, obviously, <laughs> it's been a good year for clients. I decided towards the end of last year that this is what I wanted to do full-time, so podcasting, doing the strength and conditioning, golf performance, just doing this for a living instead of just holding on to a job that I hated doing. Um, which there's a podcast coming on that soon. It'll probably only be once a month, but it'll be an interesting podcast if you do want to listen. If you're interested in retail from a retail worker's perspective. But yeah, I've got four out of my six uh, personal training clients and nutrition clients have already hit their goals. So we've got just over uh, a week, two weeks to go for their full when they started. So they started second week of Jan, and it's the second week of March now. So we, I run a 13-week 13, 13 program for them. So they've got a couple of weeks to go, and four out of the six clients have already hit their weight goals. They've hit their their inch loss goals. They've already surpassed the strength goals that they they wanted to get to. 
hopefully I'm going to retain them for another, you know, month, four, five, six, twelve, thirteen weeks. We can get them beach ready for the summer. And that's amazing. The other two, again, like me, life has kind of got in the way at a couple of times, but they've all gained strength and a little bit of fitness and they're eating a little bit healthier. So, you know, they're heading in the right direction. The three golfers that I'm dealing with, um, eldest one is doing well. He hadn't played for a long, long time. Seems to be performing quite well. I've got the other the other two guys. One of them is a personal training client as well, so he kind of mixes in. Has gained some a bit more flexibility. Had a shoulder injury. Was struggling, and now seems he's swinging it faster. Um, and has has gained a little bit of distance, and and in that feels a lot happier swinging a glove at a higher speed now. He was always frightened of doing himself some damage, so that's really good. And my my other client has not only got a little bit fitter, a little bit faster, but they've also got straighter and longer, <clears throat> which is the ultimate goal. <clears throat> if you can do that as a as a golf coach, golf performance coach, you can add some distance without them spraying it everywhere. It's perfect. I mean, it might only be on average sort of 10 yards off the tee with the driver and three, two or three yards on average with each iron. But that makes a big difference when playing golf. So yeah, it's been an interesting few weeks. It's been an interesting 13 weeks. It's been full of ups and downs personally. Uh, clientele wise, it's been a little bit up and down too. Some have come, some have gone. The guys that signed up for the 13 the week program that I do run and you're able to get finance on that as well if you do want to join me uh, in the personal training or strength and conditioning or even the golf performance coaching. That option is going to be available and is now available on the website if you do want to sign up for that. Give me a ring, drop me an email, we can sort that out for you, not a problem. So it's been good, it's been a great, great year so far. So this is episode 13, and about five or six weeks ago, I did a top five uh, fitness, nutrition, and golf questions and asked. So if you go on the link in the podcast on um, Acast, or it should be on Spotify as well, there's a link, firstdayfitnessathotmail.com, send me your fitness questions, your nutrition questions, your golf questions. How do you fix this? How do you fix that? <coughs> I will try and answer them. The ones that are most common every few weeks, a lot of them were similar to last time. I think I may have picked a couple that are similar. Slightly different answers this week time round, but I'm going to go through the top five asked fitness questions first, then the top five food, top five golf, and then obviously we'll go back and... Uh, I'll tell you about what's going to happen over the next 26 weeks in season two. <coughs> so, fitness questions. Your questions answered from me. The fifth one that's come through has been about motivation. 
and this could it's motivation is a big thing i think a lot of people get motivated to go to the gym because they they catch themselves in a mirror or a shop window or they're sat in bed with a massive bag of doritos at 11 a 11 p.m and going i need to stop this and for a while that motivation does kick in probably for a week or so that i'm gonna do this i'm gonna stop this and, and maybe maybe that lasts two or three weeks but motivation long term like i've had I've seen with especially my clients over the last 13 weeks keeping them motivated especially when they feel like clothes are getting a little bit tighter instead of looser i said that's not necessarily a bad thing your shoulders are getting broader you know your legs your quads are getting bigger so it's not necessarily you're not going to lose inches as per se you could gain some inches because you're building muscle you might put some weight on because you're one of those people that packs muscle on easily and burns fat quite easily it's just that the fact you've led a, a sedentary lifestyle so you know motivation for me i have a a 15 step uh, testing process which is it's massive i mean it's it, it's silly things like push-ups sit-ups uh lat pull down pull-ups squats deadlifts bench press i do a 12 minute bike run a row uh you know chest waist weight muscle mass water blood pressure resting heart rate and just general health and well-being how do they feel so <clears throat> those are the 15 items i put in my initial testing process that may take a couple of sessions to get through and we might not do all 15 but it might just be 10 so if they don't want to measure muscle mass or weight or waist or chest you know but the, the exercise ones i tend to do because those bits, I mean, a lot of them are all used as motivational purposes. So they might not have gained on the push-ups, but they could have gained a little bit of strength on the deadlift. If they haven't gained any strength on the deadlift, they've rode further than they did 12, this time round at this test six weeks into the process than they did at the start. You know they've lost a little bit of weight they've lost a little bit of size in the chest or the waist they've gained muscle mass these all tick little boxes and it's all it all helps me and helps my clients whether they be you know strength and conditioning fitness or personal training or golf clients obviously golf the golf has a little bit more of a you know a performance based aspect to it you know are the clubs longer is the club head speed faster are they not going you know left right whatever chunking chips <coughs> topping chips <coughs> you know drop kicking their three wood things like that those those are diff slightly different there's about 20 parameters i go into with the golf clients but uh slightly different to the personal training ones but all these things get ticked off into a box. And if we can go, well, you've gained some muscle, you haven't lost any weight, but you've lost a little bit of size on your chest, 
you've rode further than you did before and you've gained some strength in the deadlift but your upper body push-ups just gives me an idea that we need to adjust your training slightly but you've ticked these boxes these have gotten better those haven't really gone any worse you know in terms of distance or whatever they haven't got massively worse so we're heading in the right direction we just need to tweak the plan and tweaking the plan helps motivate the client which helps motivate me as a, as a personal trainer and a, and a performance coach so yeah motivation you need more than one thing if it's the fact that you've caught a glimpse of yourself in the mirror and you don't like what you see there's only you that can do about it do something about it and i think motivation is very personal whether that be you've lost someone in your life you're losing someone in your life you're losing your life you know there's nothing more motivating than those things but when it's just an external source going oh you don't look great you don't feel you don't feel great i don't feel great i'm a personal trainer and strength and conditioning coach i weigh 110 kilo i look like a jelly baby i'm 45 years old but I know I've got that old man strength in me. I can still deadlift 150 raw. My bench has never been great. It's never gone above 90 kilo, but I can still bench about 80 kilo. I can still squat about 150 to 170 kilo on a on a on a on a on a, on a great day. So I know the strength is in there, but my motivation is there it's just i need to organize my life a little bit better and sometimes it's not about motivation it's about other aspects it's about organizing your life into this is work this is that this is the time i need to food prep this is the time i need to do this i need to go shopping this is how much time i've got left and also i need to get eight hours sleep a night so when you're asleep for a third of the day and you're at work for a third of the day the other third of the day you split up mainly between choosing whether you want to eat sleep go shopping cook <laughs> or relax and most of us pick relax because that's the easiest thing to do so yeah motivation it's it it's a hard one you need if you can find yourself a good training partner a friend a colleague or even a, a personal trainer that is willing to, you know, work with you a couple of times a week, get you some motivation, get you some skills, get you doing some new things in life, in the gym, out the side of the gym even. You know, try something new just to try and change things up can all help keep you motivated. The fourth thing that came in, <clears throat> was what's the best program I can do it's, I get this quite a bit people come and they expect me to do the bog standard this 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 oh you've got that can I do it and I go through I've got a tick list of exercises again when you when you come to me as a client there's about 30 exercises that have a tick box to say whether I've done I know of I'd like to try I've never done so those four boxes get ticked they tick them off and we, we go through them we're not going to do all 30 exercises in 12 weeks 
sometimes it's a very basic program and the thing I'd like to say is I think the basics are the basics for a reason they are the base exercises that can then be elaborated upon so if you can build a strong deadlift a reasonable bench you know a, a strong squat an overhead press some kind of row whether it be a bent over or a cable or whatever and then top that session off with some hit cardio or maybe even a little kettlebell wad you know 15 12 9 6 or 15 12 9 or 21 15 9 of you know kettlebell swings kettlebell snatches you know goblet squats if you can do that at the end of the session for some hit cardio you're going to burn some fat build some muscle and you do that for four to six weeks you're going to start feeling a bit better if you as long as you up that weight every couple of weeks or you up the rep range every couple of weeks you will feel the benefit of it and those basic things are going to lead you to want to do more things i mean i spoke last week about um battle ropes battle ropes are something i'd seen i thought they were cool but i didn't realize until recently doing the golf performance coaching how much of a massive benefit stuff like battle ropes can be to help build uh, power in a golfer You know, some of the exercises that you can do with a battle rope mimic the exercises or the planes of, of, of a passage of a golf club. And they can have a massive benefit. So yeah, if you want to start a program or you're you're stuck with, you've tried so many different things, just go back to the basics. Dumbbell curl, overhead curl, tricep extensions, Things like that, back and biceps, you know, a three-day split. If you've been doing blah, 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 CrossFit for the last couple of years and you're just bored of doing the same things over and over again, go and do a three-day three day split for a month. Go and do a bodybuilding-based program and see where you're at in four weeks. But the basics of deadlift, bench, squat, overhead press, some kind of a row and some kind of hip cardio or a kettlebell uh, mini workout at the end of a session can have massive benefits in again keeping you doing the basic things keeping you motivated to do something a little bit different that's just going to keep you in your everyday life just steady state the third thing that came across which is something that I came across a lot <clears throat> something I've dealt with personally something that I know a few people have dealt with, is plantar fasciitis. Now, I'm not a physio. Um, I do know a couple. But the things that I found that helped my plantar fasciitis were, you know, it can be a painful thing. Your heel's killing, the instep of your foot hurts. You can't get up on a morning without feeling like you, you're in absolute agony. So obviously, the basics for me are footwear. Make sure you've got correct fitting footwear 
make sure you can go and get, if you can, go and get some insoles for those that fit that footwear perfectly so your feet are supported. And if you've got that, you've got the, all the, your foot's got all the support it needs. You've got the correct size, size fitting footwear that's going to help you heal a lot faster. The two tips that I've got is there are some spiky massage balls, different sizes. They're like a lacrosse ball, but they're spiky. Almost like a dog's toy that you'd throw for a dog. You can buy them on eBay. They're anywhere between five and 10 pound, five and 15 pound for two or three, one to three. <clears throat> Massaging the, the, the inside of your feet and your calves with that every night, every morning and every night will help break up the adhesions on the, the fascia of your foot. And the tip that's helped me quite recently was one I saw on Facebook. I forget the name, but it was basically go and buy yourself 50 marbles. So glass marbles, buy them off eBay or Facebook or Instagram or, or not Instagram, eBay or Amazon and get the 50 marbles and with each foot just move them from one side to the other and then back again and then put them away. First thing in the morning, last thing at night. And by you having to keep pinching your toes to pick the marbles up, it strengthens all the fascia in your feet, which then will help when you're walking around all day on those feet. <coughs> so yeah, that's my, those are my tips for plantar fasciitis. Insoles, correct fitting footwear, Buy yourself some marbles so you can you can pinch mark the marbles about fifty. I mean it could be twenty and just do it twice, and just move the marbles from one side of you one side of your body with your feet to the other, and then back again with the other foot, and it will help build and strengthen all the fascia in your feet. And then spike balls, mass spiky massage balls, just search that on eBay or Amazon. They'll pop up. You can't miss them. Cheap and cheerful. They will also help you relieve some of the pain and tension and not, it's not just for your feet those spiky balls are amazing on your your legs your lower back etc etc <clears throat> the second thing that they came across in most asked this month has been shoulder pain <clears throat> now i deal with a lot of golfers and as I've said previously, one of my golfers had a big shoulder injury, basically ripped it out of the socket 15 years ago. And it's never really felt as strong as it does now because they never really, he was never rehabbed properly and he never kept up with it. So we do a lot of internal and external rotations with bands. We do a lot of lightweight, uh, lightweight, lots of reps with a light plate, like a, one and a half kilo, one and a quarter kilo plate. So shoulder raises, internal rotations. We, we do the Z press, things like that, just to build that shoulder up. Both shoulders, in fact. So yeah, shoulder pain, it could be a pinched nerve. It could be a muscle. It could be an old injury. You know, go and see a physician. Go and see a physio <clears throat> and get some advice on it but obviously there's um, a lot of things you can do and I think banded internal external rotations and a lot of banded work and 
and and if, as long as you are not one of these people that do back and biceps because a lot of people who do who do back and biceps they don't realize that the scapulas are having to do all the row do help stabilize the shoulders for the rows and for the overhead presses and the bench press and then the the little the little muscles the infraspinatus and things like that just don't get worked because they're not they're only pushing in like frontwards and and pulling so they're pushing away from the body or pulling away from the body but they're not laterally or side laterally you know loading on a different plane so the muscles don't get worked and these little little muscles in in the shoulder get ignored damaged worn out overpowered and then they they go and pick a pen up off the floor and the shoulder falls out the socket so yeah shoulders are are, are a finicky thing whether you're a weightlifter a golfer a tennis player or just a guy who goes to the gym and does a, a three-day split make sure you add some little tiny exercises in shoulder raises front raises rear delt exercises some banded work and make sure that you when you warm up it's dynamic it's not a static stretch because you don't want to be static stretching after being sat down all day you want you know arm circles hug crosses leg swings things like that a nice dynamic warm-up to help get the blood flowing and and it also helps you feel out your aches and pains before you go and do something stupid and rip that arm out the socket <clears throat> and the number one thing that came up over the last six weeks has been losing weight it's hard to do I know I've been trying to do it for 10 years in fact I've been trying to do it for 15 years um, I got to a stage in my life personally got divorced blah blah wasn't working and I, I got up to I think I got up to around 22 nearly 23 stones in weight so I was massive you know I've I've dropped I'm down to about 17 stone now so I've lost six stone in I'm gonna say a decade I have a very unhealthy relationship with food and I think a lot of people out there consciously or subconsciously have the same as me they will eat their feelings you'll go home after a, a, a bad shift you're going to have some crisps or buy a pizza or tuck into some ice cream and it's gone you've got the bag of chips you've got the whole tub of ice cream you've got the entire pizza that you were meant to save for t you know tomorrow's dinner as well you know you've, you've done something stupid and you don't feel when you look back on it that's what you were doing but at the time it just felt perfectly normal and a lot of thing I've said to my clients and something I still say to me is that I'm not I can't stop you from eating anything I'm not gonna tell you to not eat anything obviously if it's something that's gonna kill you if you've got a peanut allergy etc then yeah I'm not gonna tell you not to eat it but <clears throat> my relationship with food has been and probably always will be a very emotional one when I'm sad or down or depressed I'll binge and eat and it'll be a couple of days later I'll regret it 
because I I step on the scale personally and I'm three pounds heavier than what I was five days ago. But I should be three pounds the other way. And that's hard. And it's hard for my clients. And it's hard for me to see that. But it's not always the case. I'm just a, a small fraction of, of people out there who emotionally eat, overeat, and struggle to control it. But losing weight is a, one of the hardest things you can do ever. It's easy to put it on. It's so easy to sit there and eat a bag of chips, and so easy to do this, and oh, I'll do that tomorrow, I'll do this now, I'll do that. But the after effects of abusing your body for a decade, it's gonna take me another decade to get to where I want. And I'll be in my 50s by then. I've said by the time I'm 50, I want to be looking better than I've ever done. But certain things, my knees, which I've had, you know, I've had injuries on my knees. My joints are starting to hurt. I know I've got some things coming in terms of arthritis in my fingers. So there are going to be some things at some point that I'm just not going to be physically able to do. And losing weight when you physically can't go and grip a, a, a barbell to pick it up, you, you can't. You don't have enough strength in your hands to pick a pen up on a morning or a spoon to stir your tea. It has a massive effect on how you lose weight. <clears throat> and what I will say to everybody out there who's listening is that losing weight is one of the hardest things you can do. Gaining it is easy. Losing it is very hard. But you can do it. You just need to take it one step at a time. You need to go and do a basic program and stick to that. Do it for four weeks. Retest yourself on those exercises. Do it for another four weeks. Retest yourself again. And by the time you've got to 12 weeks, hopefully that pattern of you going to the gym and doing what you're doing, you can add more things in. And also, just write down what you eat. Take a diary. Take a look at it. And once it's on paper and in writing, the amount of calories you've eaten a day, the amount of junk food that you may eat, the amount of fat you may intake, then you'll it'll motivate you to make a difference and make a change. Because I know that's what's motivating me. So you're not on your own. There are millions of people, probably billions of people around the world looking to lose some weight. And it's not always the case of weight loss is the end goal. I've got a client at the minute who hasn't hit their weight loss goal that we set. I mean, it wasn't a great, you know, a massive chunk of a goal, but they haven't quite hit it. But what they have done is, you know, the 12-minute, the they did a bike. So the 12-minute bike that they do, they're a hell of a lot longer than what they were. They have lost inches off their waist, off their legs, off their arms. They've gained more muscle mass. Their blood pressure has come down. Their resting heart rate has gotten better. And three of the six exercises, they've all improved their scores. 
and I expect that to do it again in a couple of weeks' time. But they've only lost probably about half what they wanted to. But again, the motivation is you've done out of the 14, out of the 15 things, the how do you feel question on top of that is you may not have hit your weight loss goal, but you've ticked, I think we did 10. So we did 10 of the the 15 things, 14 things. They've actually beaten like seven of them. The weight loss is the one that they wanted the most, but they've actually got better in seven of the 10 items that we did. And I think as long as you're progressing, weight, the scales lie, especially if you're female, because if you're during a period, you can hold water. Obviously, you're collecting water too. You're holding, your body's holding on to that. So weight loss isn't necessarily a massive problem as long as other things and other factors are getting better losing weight isn't always the most important thing in life as long as you are feeling healthier you're losing some inches you're gaining some muscle you're eating healthier you're on the right path so weight loss doesn't have to be the be all and end all of fitness i'm I consider myself pretty strong. I'm not fit, but I'm I'm reasonably strong for my age at 45. So cardiovascular wise, I've never been great. I smoked, I started smoking when I was 20, quit when I was 30. So it's been 15 years, but I've never really done a lot of cardio, never do a lot of cardio. Hits and things like that, yes, but not, not marathons and things like that. So... Me getting a little bit stronger, a little bit healthier and doing a little bit more cardio, improving my muscle mass and my my waist and my 12-minute run is more important to me than actually losing weight. If I didn't lose weight ever again, but I packed on muscle, I'd be quite happy. So weight loss is, is, a, is a multiple multitude of sins. The scales lie... As long as you're doing more things right than wrong, don't worry about your weight loss. So that's the five most asked questions on fitness over the last six weeks. We'll move on to food or nutrition, shall we say. So nutrition, I get asked this a lot too, with snacking. On the website, there are a few things. I will try and repost them over the next couple of weeks. But uh, snacking, I've said, look, I'm not afraid of making my own snacks. I've learned over the years to add some protein powder into flapjacks, uh, making some protein balls, which are just peanut butter, honey, desiccated coconut, and maybe adding some little chunks of chocolate chips, things like that in dates to make them a little bit more substantial so you get a big hit of sugar initially and that slow burning peanut butter keeps you satiated until your next meal 
but snacking doesn't have to be difficult it can be as hard or as easy as you want it if it's hard then you're making your own flapjacks like me you're making your own snacks and things like that protein power balls there are a million and one recipes out there you've just got to try and find one that's quick and easy and, and suitable for you to do but picking things like dried fruits some flapjacks some homemade balls rice cakes making sure you've got some fruit to snack on or just some yogurt can keep you satiated until you need to you can get a good meal so snacking doesn't have to be difficult there are plenty of companies out there such as my protein who make protein cookies protein bars flapjacks things like that that are healthy i don't recommend you know as a full sustainable future to be using them for the rest of your life but they are full of protein low on sugar and they're great to just to gobble down and keep you going until you can get a good meal the fourth one that's come through was <clears throat> not sure how to diet which is you know for someone who deals in nutrition every day dealing with people i know myself i i know how to diet i have all the books i have all the knowledge in the world but it's choosing we have a choice so you know not not sure how to diet or what diet to pick i think was the actual question yeah that was it so they weren't sure if it was um how they should be dieting or what diet they should do so obviously you've got things like paleo vegetarian vegan things like that and i said well you just you know to a lot of my clients if you want to try it try it but a thing with a lot of especially vegetarian and vegan uh, diets you need to be very aware of what you're eating so if you're intaking animal products now whether that be milk eggs fish meat whatever and you, you like it then those diets probably aren't going to be for you they're probably great for a, a little cleanse for a week you go and eat some you know vegan sausage vegan burgers and don't get me wrong some of those incredible burgers are incredible i'd rather take them over a a hamburger any day especially with the health benefits um, but <clears throat> if you want to try a diet I'd say go and try it for a week plan it out pick your meals and go and see, see if you can do it if you like it do it again you know just week by week plan plan your food try a paleo diet try a, a vegetarian try a, a pescatarian diet just go try it log it see if you're getting enough protein of fats and of carbs making sure that you're not getting too much sugar a few vegans i know eat way too much sugar they always seem really hyped they drink a lot of caffeine too which is really bad 
so they're 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 a sugar and caffeine addicted friends who yeah great you're not you're not eating meat anymore but you're damaging your liver and your kidneys and probably gonna have diabetes sooner than me and i'm overweight and 45 so you've got to be careful with what you eat you've got to plan them out so the likes of my fitness pal will help you track and log what you eat for that week or that fortnight and then you'll you can make a decision from there so if you're not sure what diet you want to do or how you want to diet log your food plan your meals log your food and like i say 50 30 20 split carbs protein fat five percent either way if you hit that carry on and leading into <laughs> the snacking and the not sure what kind of diet i should be on is the hungry all the time i've started a new workout regime and I've started a new diet and I'm just hungry all the time. I go to the gym now three times a week. It used to be one. So I'm just, I want to eat the whole fridge. Sometimes it's not the fact that you're hungry. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Hungry and thirsty can be the same kind of feeling to your brain, to you. So if you were doing, if you were going to the gym twice a week and here you're going four times a week, Think of all that extra sweat, all that extra bodily fluid that's coming out of your body when you're on the treadmill doing cardio or you're lifting heavy or you're lifting for a long time. <coughs> that water needs replacing. So you're not hungry, you're thirsty. That's simple. So if you feel like you want to eat the house that you live in, go and get yourself a glass of water. Drink that glass of water and go and sit down in another room for five minutes. Check Instagram for whatever, TikTok. And if you're still hungry, you're probably hungry. But if that glass of water satiated you, but you still feel a bit peckish, go and have another glass of water. Go and scroll through your phone or your tablet or play around a Call of Duty, whatever, for another 15 minutes. And if you're still hungry after that, you're definitely hungry. But if you've had two, if you're working out more than what you were, or you you've been at work more this week than you did the week before, then you're probably thirsty. You're not hungry. So check you're taking in enough water. The second highest topic that came through the emails was the fact that. <clears throat> Yeah, I've started exercising or I'm contemplating exercising, but I'm working, you know, 40 hours a week, but I just feel done. I feel super, I'm either really tired when I'm at work in the morning and then by the time I get home, I'm super awake. So feeling completely done, tired, knackered all the time is a problem. And obviously, if you work in a job where you're at work, say I was working at the shop, I'd have to be up at 6 a.m. Like Saturdays and Sundays, people don't realize that your newspaper doesn't come with the magazine in it. Some poor sod who works in that newspaper shop 
has to arrange all those magazines with the correct newspapers, count them all, put them all together and put them out so you can complain you haven't got your magazine. So we do an hour's worth of lifting a lot of newspapers, sometimes into the couple of 300 newspapers a day over the weekend. And you're super tired. So you, you feel tired when you get up, even though you've had eight hours sleep. That's a problem, go see a doctor. And then you spend all day either drinking coffee in the morning or Red Bull or Monster all day. And then when you go, go to, come to go to bed at 9, 10 o'clock, you're just awake. That's a massive problem. So, again, look at your diet. Look at the sleep you're taking in. Look at the caffeine amount that you're taking in. The alcohol level you may be taking in. And also look at the sugar level you're taking in. Especially if you're drinking alcohol. There's a lot of sugar in alcohol, especially beers and and. and a lot of ciders now have a lot of sugar in. So if you relax at 5, 6 o'clock in the evening with a couple of beers, and then you find you're, you're super awake, can't sleep at night, or you've been downing Red Bull all day, you've had three or four Red Bulls while you've been at work, and you can't sleep at night, that's probably why, because you've had the equivalent of like 10, 12 cups of coffee since 3 o'clock this afternoon, because you feel like crap. You've been to the gym, but now you're wide awake because your senses are just firing. So if you feel like that, obviously keep an eye on it. A couple of weeks, if this goes on for more than a couple of weeks, again, mark down how many caffeinated drinks you have, tea, coffee, Red Bull, the other drink monsters, whatever out there. Uh, obviously how much, how much alcohol you've drunk that week and how much sugar you've took on board. Again, MyFitnessPal app can log that for you. And then you can go, oh, right, okay. So I've had the equivalent of about 20 cups of coffee today. No wonder at 1 a.m. I was still awake. <clears throat> you can make determinations from that. If it's just the fact that you feel done and you don't drink tea or coffee and you don't drink alcohol and you don't eat, have a lot of sugar, then please go and get yourself to a, a GP and go and get some blood work done and get some answers, because that could be a big problem. The number one, what do I eat? That's the number one question that came through uh, on the emails, was what do I eat? Food, that's what you eat. You want to be eating 50% carbs, 30% protein, 20% fat, 5% either way. 50, 55 to 45, 35 to 25, 25 to 15 percent. Log it on your app, on the MyFitnessPal app. There are other apps as well, of course. I'm just hoping they hear this at some point and throw me a sponsor. But yeah, log your food. And then plan it out. So log what you eat for the next four weeks, and when you realize you're having too many carbs or too little protein or way too much fat like I do, <clears throat> then you make the adjustment. Pre-plan your meals. The best thing you can do is pre-plan your meals. There are plenty of, of, I mean, Alexa will actually give you meals if you ask her. <coughs> 
excuse me, every time I do a podcast, I want to cough my lungs up. Probably bad. There's probably something majorly wrong with me. I Most people who know me will already say there is. But plan your meals. Make sure you're getting a big chunk of protein, some carbs, and you're limiting your fats. And then you can look at your macros. So, you know, vitamins A, B, C, D, E, K, things like that that are going to help you digest your food, etc., etc. So I can't tell you again. I can't tell you what to eat. I can advise you what to eat if you're a client of mine, but I can't actually physically tell you what to eat. There's parameters that I've said. Stick to those parameters. You won't be going too far wrong. But, and I've said this to all of my clients, and I'll say it to all you people out there as well, that if you want to go and have a pizza on a Tuesday night with a friend from work, go and have it. If you want to go and have a couple of glasses of, of wine or a couple of beers, go and do it. If you want to go and have a full English breakfast on a Saturday morning with your dad, because he likes to go out for a meal on a Saturday morning before you go to football or to golf. Fine. If you want to have some ice cream or dessert or something nice on a Sunday afternoon after after dinner, do it. Those three things are not going to destroy your world. But if those three things become three days then that's a problem. So I can't tell you what to eat. I don't know what who you are or what you are. But just log your food, read my blog, listen to this podcast, and take the advice that I hand out. The parameters of your food that you need to be eating. And you should be good. You know, it's as simple as that. I don't punish anybody for having a meal. We've all got to have a life. We can't all just eat kale and chicken breast forever because you're going to want to hang yourself after about a week. So, you know, if you want to go and do something, do it. But three meals a week, you know, that's it. You know, if you, a breakfast on the morning, a, a, a pub lunch, and maybe a, a, a Chinese or a pizza. Those three meals with the added exercise that you're putting in and your that those other six days. So that you, you can effectively call it a cheat day. But it's a cheat day where it's not just one day. Because if you have it as a one day, that one day then becomes one week, which then becomes one month, which then becomes your life, which is what I'm currently at at the minute. <laughs> so... Allowing yourself to be bad, bad in air quotes, a couple of times a week, maybe a dessert and maybe a couple of meals a week isn't the worst thing in the world. Because if you don't have any kind of satisfaction in your life, you're not going to want to do anything. So me telling you what to eat, I can't do that. But what I can do is you can eat whatever the hell you like, just eat it in moderation. And well, so that's the first 
two lists gone through. So before we carry on, I am going to tell you there is a new blog post out. So if you go to felsafefitness.weebly.com forward slash blog, the latest blog post is about training hard, training smarter, not harder. So, you know, excuses for avoiding exercise are lack of time and reduced motivation, which in the result is a more unlikely result of poor results from previous weight loss attempts. Um, and the fact that you're, you're doing a 40 hours at work, you've got two kids in school, you got no time. <laughs> so what I've done is there are three things in this blog post that are going to help you to organize your training sessions to make them a little bit more streamlined. So going from 90 minutes in the gym to 45 minutes in the gym, swapping certain exercises for the same exercises just at a, at a different pace can have some significant training benefits fitness benefits and definitely time benefits so go check the blog post out leave some comments let me know if again if there's anything you want me to talk about in the blog and i'll try and get a post up there as soon as i can thank you very much so selfless plug over moving on to the boring bits the few guys have come for the fitness and the food nutrition side of things you can switch off now unless you want to uh, listen to me talk about golf for the next 30 minutes <laughs> it's been a pleasure thank you for listening but uh, this is golf time now so these are the five things that come through the most a couple of these are carried forward from the last set so they, they nearly made it in but they didn't so the fifth post is golf problems fixing a slice <laughs> and this is something you if if any of you golfers out there who've have been on youtube recently or you follow any youtube golf youtubers you're probably getting the same advert as me is that there's a PGA Pro out there, I can fix your slice in five shots. Yeah, you probably can. I could probably fix your slice in two shots. I could probably fix your slice without you even hitting a golf ball. Not a bold claim at all, because as soon as I see you grip a golf club, that's probably for me, as I've seen it, the number one reason why you slice a golf club, golf ball is the fact that the right hand is probably under the grip of the golf club. So as you look down the golf club, you've got your left, if you're a right-handed golfer, you've got your left thumb kind of down the shaft, and then underneath that left thumb, there are no fingers. There's just grip. <clears throat> so the left hand is weak, the right hand is strong, but when you swing back and deliver that golf club, the face is so open, it's going to go right if you're a right-handed golfer. Or it's going to go left if you're a left-handed golfer. So, two simple things to fix a slice is strengthen your grip 
with your leading hand. So that's left hand, if you clasp your hands together in front of you, like you're going to clap, put them together. Just think about it as you're about to grip a golf club. So put the golf club or in between your hands, in between your palms and your hands. And what I want you to do is roll that left hand so you can see at least two to three knuckles of that left hand on that golf club. So the V of your thumb and your pointy finger is now pointing at your, if you're right-handed, the V of your left hand is now pointing at your right shoulder. That's what I want it to be. And then what I want you to then do is then put the grip of the golf club in your right hand in the fingers. And I just want you to gently close over the top. I don't want you to hook underneath, but I want you to close over the top. So the, the thumb, the V of your thumb in your right hand is now pointing up your left forearm. And if you do that, go out. It's going to feel weird, but go out and hit yourself 10 shots. You'll probably hook a few, and that's some, that'll be something new. And voila, I fixed your slice. And other than that, it might be a case of ball position. It might not be. It might be a push slice. So if your grip is okay, which 90, I'm going to say 97% of the time it isn't. It's either too weak uh, with the left hand. So you just, you don't, just don't close the face when you come through impact. And your ball position. The ball's too far back in your stance. So you're coming down too steep with an open face. So you, you're not giving your body enough time to rotate through the golf ball to square the, square the face off. So the, it, it's open and it just squirts right. It's a block right, not more, not so much a, a slice right. So those are the two things I want you to check. Check your grip, check your ball position. Move your ball position forward. And if you're right-handed, make sure you wrote in internal, internal thumb. So roll the thumb around the grip. So you can see at least a couple of, so the V of your left thumb is pointing at your right shoulder. And this, if you're left-handed, it's your right thumb. V is pointing at your left shoulder. <clears throat> Simple. Number two. It's something that came up last time, but it wasn't. It was about seventh on the list. And now, obviously, been bumped up. So number two is, I don't hit it as far as my playing partner's. So, it might not be off the tee. You're just as long as each other off the tee. So, off the tee, you know, you're pretty similar. So, you hit your driver, you hit your three, wood off the tee. You know, woods are going about the same. But he, your playing partner, is hitting seven iron. And you're having to hit six iron. So, maybe even five iron. And there are many reasons for this. So, a couple of them are the age of your clubs. So obviously, if, if you've got a, a three wood or a driver that is more than, I'd say more than eight years old, 
you probably need to go and buy a new one because technology, especially in the last five years, has taken a big leap. You know, uh, the ATI face of a Titleist driver, you know, the the power shell that's round the, the new paradigm, the carbon face on the tailor-made woods, you know, they're, they're making some massive gains in ball speed. And that's all been in the last two or three years. So if you're... Your driver or your woods are more than five years old. I'd say if they're eight years old, definitely go and change them. But if they're more than five years old, <clears throat> then you probably need to go and have a look at something new. And the same with your irons. I think irons have got a little hotter. The last decade, definitely, they've got a the faces have got hotter. The lofts have gone jacked. I mean... Me, for instance, when I came back, I was playing with an old set of hippos, which are very traditionally lofted. Still got them. They cost me 20 quid. I've still got them. Uh, they're my going away club. So if my bag of clubs goes missing, I've lost 20 quid. The bag, I think the towel that hangs on the bag is worth more than the irons. Ridiculous. In terms of what I paid for them. I think the grips, yeah, sorry, tell a lie. They're worth a bit more now because I paid 20 pounds for the irons. And I paid £26 for the grips. So, yeah, they're worth about 50 quid now. They're not. I'd still only get 20 quid for them. But if your, your irons and wood, if your woods off the tee are going about the same distance, but they're hitting 7-iron. For instance, my 7-iron, when I, when, I, when I bought a new set, I had a Wilson D7 set so i had a full bag it's used on the avatar on the facebook group so i had a wilson d7 driver three wood and irons they're brilliant gaming provers they got me back into the game i felt like i hit them a very long way <clears throat> and i did i did hit them a very long way but it's because the seven iron is a five iron so I think the four iron was 19 degrees in loft. The five iron was 20, I think 22 and a half. The six iron was 25 degrees. The seven iron was 28 and a half degrees or 29 degrees. So it was a 29 degree seven iron, which in old money is a five iron. So I was hitting that 7-iron about 155, 160. I've now got a traditional set of... I, I bought another set of Hippos, the H100 from Hippo. Because I just... I think the brand's great. They do some great, nice golf clubs. Um, and the fact I'm a big fan of John Daly's. So... I... Basically, bought these irons and found out that the D7 29 degrees is now my, well, it's, it's a degree higher than my 5 iron. So not all clubs are equal. Loft jacking has been a thing for a while. 
So if your friend is hitting a five iron, a seven iron, and you're hitting a five iron, it's probably because your irons are not modern lofted, or he's using game improvement or super game improvement irons where the lofts are much stronger. They've got a lot more tungsten weighting. <clears throat> so don't feel bad. It's a problem in the modern game where, oh, I've hit a seven iron, 165. But then you go, okay, what are you playing? And they go, oh, Wilson D7, great. That's seven irons, 29 degrees. It's an old money five iron. It's got this towering ball flight and loads of tungsten. It flies really far, but it's a five iron. It's not a seven iron. So take that into account. You know, feeling like you're not hitting it as far as you're playing partners it could be the equipment in terms of especially woods if you haven't had a new driver or a three wood or a hybrid in the last five years go and take a look at some new equipment replace one of them i'm not saying go and spend thousands of pounds just to replace the one like a three wood to get you some modern distance and some help if they're more than eight years going on a decade you probably need to replace the lot because technology technology has advanced in the golf space <clears throat> but if it's irons that you're worried about then it's probably the set that they're playing more modern clubs a bit more loft jacked the bit more help the stronger lofted don't worry about it as long as you're competing with them doesn't matter Number three, something that come up a lot, something that's come up with a couple of clients as well. So I can be great on one hole. I can go and get myself a par on a par, long par five, or I can birdie this short-ish par four at 325. I birdie it all the time. But for the next three holes, I'm trash. And this is down to, again, bleeds in from the last one. So you hit a good drive, it's okay. You've got a birdie, you've got excited, the adrenaline's gone to your head. You've gone, oh, I'm gonna, you don't, you're probably doing something that you don't normally do. So on that par four, that 325 par four, you've birded it. You normally par it, but you've got a birdie this time, great. You're excited. You stepped up onto that tee and you're probably thinking, oh, I'm going to have a go at this now. It's par five. It's only 490 or 495 or whatever it is. I'm going to have a go at it. And you pull out the driver, which is something you don't normally do. So you're doing something that you don't normally do, which then puts you in trouble because you, you hit it too far left or too far right. It's out of bounds in the trees on the next hole. And then that spirals because it goes from being one tee shot to then you've got to chip out and then you're angry. And then you go to the next hole angry. So you started this hole. I birdied the last hole. Great, let's pull a driver. I'm going to attack this. You make a mess of it. You go to the next hole, you're angry. Then you hit another drive angry or an iron angry. And it's, it's you've pulled it, you've sliced it, you've topped it, whatever. So my advice to people who do this is don't get excited. I don't want you to get excited. I want you to play boring golf. 
So there are plenty of apps. Swing U is one of them. Not U Swing, that's a very different app. Swing U is free. You can go on there and you can look at your home course. Most golf courses are on there. Go and take a look at it. You can pick... You know roughly where you hit your drives and, and, and tee shots too. So you can go and measure that. So you can also give yourself a little bit of a yardage book while you're doing this. Go and take a look at your home course that you play. That you probably play 40 weeks of the year. And you probably play at least once a week. So you play at least 40 times a year at this golf course. Measure your yardages. You know where you normally hit your tee shots to. Write them down. And then the next two or three rounds that you play, the next month that you play that golf course, write that down in a notepad. And then write down either on your scorecard or on a separate notepad where you hit and what shots and what irons you hit for the next three or four rounds. And compare it to what you wrote down, what you should be hitting. What you know you can hit. And if they don't match up. Or there are some deficiencies. Then you know you can't hit an 8 iron into the approach at 4. You need to hit a 7 iron. <laughs> if you're always coming up short. Or I've been hitting driver off 8. And I've been into the ditch or into some tree trouble. I'm not making the corner. Then... I suggest changing your aim spot or playing it as a three-shotter. Things like that can make a massive difference. I want you to go and play some boring golf. Hit the middle of the fairway, hit the middle of the green. I don't even want you to be interested in the flag. If the flag's at the front of the green or the back of the green, I don't care. Just I want you to hit the middle of the green, middle of the fairway. So whatever shot shape you hit, fade, draw, slice, hook, whatever. Aim so you know... You, you know roughly that that ball's going to finish in the middle of the fairway or the middle of the green and see how you get on. Play boring golf. And the more boring golf you play, you'll find that you won't care. You won't be as excited about birdies or pars. You will be, but eventually it'll just become normal that you hit the middle of the fairway, the middle of the green, couple of putts, and you walk away to the next hole. Boring golf. And I think all handicappers, even single-figure handicappers, until they become plus handicappers, just need to play boring golf. <clears throat> Number four on the old golf trip is my handicappers dropped. So I had a good year. Like, similar to me. I went all the way up to 89 at the beginning of last year. Now I'm down to 13, 13.5. So I came down five and a half shots last year. I'm hoping to get down at least another four this year by playing boring golf. But a lot of people go, oh, I've, I've got down from 30. I'm down to 20 and down to 18. So they come drop 12 shots. They're down to 18 hand. I said when I started in 2019 again, I'd be happy with 18. I'd be happy to play off 18. A shot a hole, that's me happy. No, I'm a hell. I am not happy. I want to be playing off single figures. I want to be walking up somewhere and going, yeah, I play off seven. That's my ultimate goal. I want to play off seven. Ideally, it'd be scratch, but I don't think I'll ever get there. Uh, 
but I want to be off seven. Mid mid high single figures, great. Seven is my target. So people get to their X goal. And then I've had a few people say, Oh, I my handicap came down from you know twenty-eight thirty all the way down to eighteen this year. You know, I'm a mid handicapper now at eighteen. Fifteen fifteen is about the most club handicapper you can get. So there are two or three shots off that. What do I do from now on? I want to treat I, I don't know whether to go and get some more lessons to get my handicap down again or go and buy some new equipment. And the thing is, like I've just said, if your irons aren't knackered, the grips aren't dropping off, the heads aren't twisting round when you hit them, your woods are reasonably inside five years, no more than eight years old. You hit them well, you find a fairway, why do you want to change anything? If you've had your wedges more than five years, in fact more than three years, go and change your wedges. So go and treat yourself to some wedges. But if you're hitting your irons well, go and get a lesson with your local pro. They'll help you on, you know, stack collecting. And maybe it's just a case of, you know, positional play, you know, a, a, or maybe approach play or putting that's letting you down a little bit. They can work on with you, work on that, and get your handicap lower. But if those clubs have got you to where they are, where you are, Changing those clubs is going to have a detrimental effect on your handicap. Nine times out of ten, it's not going to have a positive impact. So if you go to a fitting and you've gone from a 28 handicap down to an 18, so you've dropped ten shots with the clubs that are in your bag, and then you go and find a set that goes a club further. You get me? There are going to be times on the golf course over the next two or three months where your old set, you'd have to hit a six iron. So you've hit a six iron and you've put it to the back of the green and it's cost you shots and you're a bit frustrated. So just be aware that unless stuff is really, really old in your bag and you've had it more than five years, it probably doesn't need replacing yet. Just take it easy. One thing, maybe change a three wood or a long line for a hybrid or maybe a driver. But those are big changes because you, you might hit a driver somewhere between 12 and 14 times around. So if it is that high, then that driver is getting, you, you're so used to that, that driver. And when you go and change it for another one, you can go and you can then start putting yourself into some trouble and you're going to have to be prepared in buying new equipment to take the hit on your handicap it's probably going to cost you two shots maybe three shots to get used to and it's going to take two or three or four or six months for you to feel as comfortable as you did with that with the driver or the piece of equipment in your bag that you've replaced it with you know, you, it's going to take you that long to feel like it's it's working. You're going to have to learn how to hit it, when to hit it high, how to hit it low, how to hit a draw, how to hit a fade. So it's not necessarily treat yourself to a new new set or a new full bag of clubs. Go and get one thing changed. If you know you can walk into a store 
and buy a three wood that currently matches your driver then buy that damn three wood if you've got a driver that you f you find a driver in a fitting that's going 20 yards further buy that driver but it's not guaranteed that it's going to keep you out of trouble because the very next couple of months you could be hitting it everywhere all over the face you've got to get used to how it swings so just prepare to take the hit if you do buy new clubs after you've treated yourself for getting down in your handicap just be prepared that that might go up and it's not the clubs it's just you learning how to use those clubs and be comfortable with them like you were with your old set and then going into the very final thing of the podcast is number five it's a very recent topic and I had a few emails and I thought I'd put it in because I've got an opinion it's probably not a popular opinion well it might be <clears throat> but it's the ball rollback so last week <clears throat> the RNA and the USGA said they were going to they wanted to roll the golf ball back to the 1990s to help with a distance problem that for me I don't think any of the PGA Tour DP World Tour Asian Tour live golf tour uh, invitational tour i don't think any of them have a distance problem what they have is a problem with the golf courses that they're playing on moaning that they're having to buy property especially augusta had to buy property recently to extend the tees and the length of the golf course And when you look at the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill and you look at the players at TPC Sawgrass and you look at the Genesis Open at Riviera hosted by Tiger Woods, those three weeks at the very early in the season, even looking at Kapalua in Hawaii, they're tough little golf courses very undulating the rough is ridiculous you know pebble beach at and you know uh, pebble beach pro-am you know spyglass etc etc monterey bay those golf courses are damn tough to play and we should have i think spyglass and monterey that we should have a golf we should have a tournament on there all the time but hey So they want to roll the ball back to the 1990s. Now, something that I put in a post on Facebook or Instagram, I'm not too sure. 1997, my hero, John Daly, averaged 308 yards. Cameron Champ in 2022 averaged 323.4 yards off the tee. So in 25 years, the distance has gone up 25 yards. <clears throat> fact. Absolute fact. 
Those are on the stats on the PGA Tour site. You can go and check them. So it's gone up one yard a year in 25 years. To which I put on this post, I said, so you want to roll the ball back to 1990. John Daly was hitting close to 290 yards, I think from from his 280 plus yards since his inception on the PGA Tour winning in 1991 at the US PGA where he averaged, I think, about 285 yards off the tee that week. So in the space of 33 years, you've gained 40 yards. And the problem is the USGA and the RNA allowed club manufacturers to make bigger-headed golf clubs, bigger-headed drivers, and three-woods, and hybrids, they allowed all the equipment changes to happen. And now what they want to do is make a model local rule to make the golf ball, from what I can gather, they want the golf ball to be around 40 compression. So it'll t- send it back to the 1990s. I said, well, you've only got to go back to about 1997 <clears throat> to make that golf ball go 308 yards. So basically, they want to take 15 yards off the pro golfers. And I know the likes of Titleist have come out, or the, the guy who owns a Cushnet, which owns Titleist, has said, they seem to have given a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. And I agree with him. Because if you look at Bay Hill, and you look at Sawgrass, and you look at Riviera, they are three golf courses that were... The greens are drying out. The greens are rapid. You know, there are bunkers in play off the tee. There are out-of-bounds and hazards in play off the tee. Players have to hit three woods irons. I mean, Minwood Lee, Saturday night at Bay Hill. Was it Bay Hill or Sawgrass? Sawgrass, Sawgrass, sorry, Sawgrass. At the players hit uh, a two iron 290 some odd yards 93 or 98 yards it was close to a 300 yard two iron off the tee because when Minwoo plays with his sister Minji Lee he's not allowed to use his driver so he can absolutely hit this two iron like a rocket ship and I thought to myself well that is a golfer who through no fault of his own is hitting a golf club further than most people would hit a driver on the PGA Tour. Some of the some of the slower guys at the bottom end can't hit their driver 293 yards, let alone a two iron. And then I thought about the courses that they were on, and some of the courses, and I think this is the problem, a lot of courses went from, oh, it's got to be 7,000 yards to be a PGA Tour event. I'm saying, no, make the damn course 6,500 yards, and see how they play off the ladies' tees. You know, risk and reward. It's a 340-yard par four. They're going to drive it. But there's four of those on the hole. I don't mind seeing a PGA Tour event where someone wins at 30 under par. I don't care. It's exciting to see birdies go in. I want them to see them try and drive for those four greens. Put it in greenside bunkers trying to hold the, bunk, hold the bunker shot. Trying to hold those chips. 
that to me makes the PGA Tour a more interesting spectacle. You know, forcing players to hit a three-wood off the tee or a two-iron off the tee or a five-iron off the tee because the landing area is narrow, the rough is thick, there are bunkers or hazards in the way. Make the golf courses shorter. Make the players play golf because driver wedge bores the crap out of most of the people I know. They're sat there watching, oh, is it driver, wedge, driver, wedge, driver, gap wedge, driver, nine iron, driver, wedge. And you're like, this is the most boring golf I've ever seen. But Sawgrass, Bay Hill and Riviera force the players to play other clubs. The hazards are in the way. Even Jack ripped his place up. You know... I think Morikawa was winning the PGA and they were ripping the greens up while he was doing it. Because he knows it's not about distance. It's about forcing the player to make a decision. I'm going to have to carry it 320 or carry it 300 yards <clears throat> or I can hit a you know, five wood, two iron short of those bunkers and then hit, you know, five, six iron, or I can take the risk, try and carry it 300 yards, which will leave me with a, you know, eight or nine iron into a green. So yeah, the rolling the ball back, I don't think is, I think it's, it is a solution to a prop, to a problem that doesn't exist. I think the USGA, the RNA, the golf courses that they choose and the golf courses that are a big part of the PGA Tour need to consider not extending certain holes in terms of tee boxes, but I want them to shorten the holes, put in some bunkers and force the players to make a decision. Make the risk-reward of golf more exciting. Not create a solution to a problem that in my opinion doesn't exist and that's it those are your 15 questions answered so your fitness tips your nutrition and your golf ones that have all come through thank you so much to everybody who sent me messages I know a few of them aren't on here and I have replied to a few of you as well in private if there's anything you want to discuss whether that be training, strength and conditioning, nutrition-wise, golf performance-wise, training-wise, or lifestyle-wise. Don't hesitate to get in touch. Fellsafefitness at hotmail.com. Send all your questions there. This blog post is the is a good blog post. So save yourself some time whilst at the gym or at the home gym. There's three ways you can make your exercise a little bit more streamlined and maybe in some cases a little bit more effective. Also, this is the final one of season one. So episode 13, it's been a great 13 weeks. It's been a pleasure answering your questions. I've prattled on now for close to 90 minutes. 
So I'm pretty sure some of you are bored. If there's any of you still left. Probably the golfies just fast forward to this bit. Um, some news about moving forward. So after this week, I'm going to do a 26-week period where it is going to be basically golf performance podcasting. So I'm still going to talk about exercises that you can do, that anyone can do, whether you're strength strength training, whether you are starting your journey into fitness. Some food snack tips, some meal prep tips are still going to be in the show, but they are going to be based around players who play golf. And of course, I will discuss a little bit more in depth on some tips for you golfers out there as well. It's been an absolute pleasure to do this podcast. It wastes a couple of hours of my life a week. I'm hoping it's not wasting a couple of hours of your life. I'm hoping everything that I have put out there, someone has taken something from it. If I can help just one person lead a healthier lifestyle, lower their scores at golf, or just learn something new that they didn't learn, they didn't know, that they can use in their daily life, then I feel that's a win for me. And that's definitely a win for them. So this is the very last one of this format. The format's going to be pretty much the same, but it is going to be based on golf performance. So please still do tune in. It's still going to be interesting for you to listen. I'm still going to be telling you about how crap my life is and how I need to go and see a therapist about my issues with food. I know I will. But it's been fun. It's been a pleasure, an honor, and a privilege to bore the crap out of you guys for the last 90 minutes. I'm going to let you all go. I will see you again next week for the start of season two of the Failsafe Fitness Podcast. My name has been Michael. It's been a pleasure once again. Have a great week, and I'll see you in season two. Goodbye.